the Psalms. Let's sing this this morning. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's sing that again. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare your greatness. Oceans cry out to you. Mountains, they bow down before you. So I join with simple statement. I will worship you. It's your choice, church. Will you do it? Oh, I will worship you. Yes, I will. I will worship you. All right, take it up, sing. We will worship. Every season, he's good. Let's sing this. 
of this world I will lay them at your feet surrender every anxious thought for perfect peace 
your perfect peace and all the loved ones I hold dear all my hopes and dreams and all my fears I will choose to trust your name in everything with everything look up. I will look up, for there is none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you, Jesus, Lord of all. I will look back, and I'll see that you are faithful. I look ahead, Believing you are able, Jesus, Lord of all. Jesus, Lord of all. So I will take you at your word. Jesus, you have taken hold of me. All my life is in your hands. You are my strength. You are my strength. So I will look up, for there is none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you. Jesus, Lord of all, I will look back and I'll see that you are faithful. I look ahead, believing you are able. Jesus, Lord of all, Jesus, Lord of all. of peace, perfect healer, all my life, all my cares are on you, King of kings, mighty Savior, all my life, all my cares are on you, Prince of peace. Perfect healer, all my life, all my cares are on you, King of kings, mighty Savior, all my life, all my cares are on you. I will look up. For there is none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you. Jesus, Lord of all. And I will look back and see that 
words are our prayer this morning. You are holy, you are mighty, and we want to be a people that continuously seek you. We desire to know what you want for us, Lord. We desire to be in your presence this morning. Lord, it is our deepest want to hear your voice speak to us and to speak to all aspects of who we are. So Father, we're here this morning to worship to listen and to hear. Father, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for this opportunity to do all of these things, not by ourselves hidden away somewhere, but by in a group, Lord, as a body of believers. Lord, what comfort we take from standing near the people, Lord, our friends and family in you, from hearing the voices lifted of our friends and family in you, Lord. Thank you for what we have here today. Father, may the continuation of this time together be time spent with you and with each other, Lord, in the fullness of what you want for us. Lord, bless us, Lord. Speak to us. For where we bring hurts and needs in, Father, let us know that you know those things, that you hear those things, that you're working even when we cannot see, Lord, to better and to the good of us. Lord, thank you for this time. Please be with Pastor Brian this morning. May he speak your words. May we hear your words through him today. It's your name. We thank you and praise you. Amen. Our first year of ministry, we were living in a little town called Wilmington, Ohio. You may be familiar with that. And uh, God called us to serve at a church in the Dayton area. It's about a 40 minutes away from where we were living and didn't move right away. Uh, we were... Uh, took some time before we actually would move from Wilmington to Dayton. And one particular Sunday morning, we get up and we're getting ready to go and we're, we're heading out the door. And this is going to surprise a lot of you, but we were kind of really tight on time, uh, especially with a 40 minute drive ahead of us. And we walk out the front door and our oldest daughter in her beautiful Sunday dress that her grandmother had made for her decides to bleh all over herself as we have her in the car seat. And of course, it gets on her and in the car seat. and. Uh, at that time, since we were 40 miles from, from where we lived, we would stay in, in, at Dayton and have dinner and hang out at the church. We wouldn't drive back home all the time. So we know in our minds we, we can't spend all day with her covered in her bleh. So we run back inside. We change clothes. We will clean up the car seat. We, we get back in the car and we head out, and now we are running late. So, of course, I try to make up a little bit of time, as most fathers' husbands do, and we're going down this two-lane road. Uh, there was just two roads we took. It was actually a really easy drive, but there were, was all two lanes, and there was a car in front of me. That was just, they were just on their way to church, and they weren't running late. They were kind of taking their time, enjoying the day, and I decided I'm gonna, I need to get around them, and I went to pass them, and I was exceeding the speed limit while passing them. I wasn't speeding, but in this moment, I was speeding to go around them. As I'm pulling back into my lane, I look over the hill, and there he is, the sheriff's car. And he passes me, and then lights come on, and i just like, oh, boy, now I'm really late. Pulls me over, and at this time, I don't, we don't have cell phones yet. This, this was really back in the day. Uh, he asked, why was I going so fast? 
well, officer, I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm, I'm late for church. My, my daughter got sick, and we're just trying to get the service. And he said, well, hold tight. And takes my license and registration, comes back a few minutes later. He says, sir, here's your, here's your, information, your license and registration. Um, have a nice day. He didn't give me a ticket. He said, well, well, thank you, officer. I really appreciate that. I mean, that's a wonderful grace that you're bestowing. Today. He says, oh, no, I want to give you a ticket. But the law says I'm not allowed. <laughs> what a great law. <laughs> now, I'm thinking, well, I've never heard that one before. So I, we, we get to church finally, and there, there's a friend that goes to our church in the Dayton area, or had, was going to our church, and he was a lieutenant with the Dayton Police Department. I said, I went up to say, hey, let me tell you this story that just happened to me. It's a really cool story. He starts to laugh. He says, well, the law says he's, is that we can't, as law enforcement officers, cause due delay for a clergy that's on their way to perform their their duties or to do a worship services or for funerals. He says, but that didn't apply to you. My guys would have given you a ticket. Well, praise the Lord, I got pulled over by the Clinton County Sheriff that day and not the Dayton City Police and not at all making the stretch that God was looking down favorably upon us because I, I was wrong. I deserved a ticket. I, I was not doing what I should have done. We didn't give ourselves enough time to account for maybe our daughter throwing up all over herself, them herself. But regardless, I deserved the ticket. But yet, it's not what I received. I received grace. And as we talk and continue to talk about covenant, I, I hope that you're starting to see covenant all throughout Scripture. Because it's this bestowing that God does through his son, Jesus Christ, of, of, of these things into our lives upon us that we don't deserve, that we could never earn. If you think about it, Jesus inviting us to walk in covenant with him, he really gets the raw end of the deal, doesn't he? At least when it comes to me, I know what he gets when he comes and walks in covenant with me. And I would make out far better than he does, at least from my human perspective. And, and maybe God has a way in, in his omniscience and his power uh, to make things work out for his glory in ways that I will never fully understand. But I'm so thankful that I don't have to pay the price for the things that I deserve because of grace, because of covenant that God offers to me through Jesus. So this process, this conversation we've been having is intended to help us understand and to see in his word the hope that he provides for us. So to recognize the difference that covenant makes in our lives. So when we leave here on, after coming to church on Sunday mornings, there's a now what? That there's so what? There's a difference that we can share with others about the, how a relationship with God matters, why it matters, and the difference it can make, not only in our lives, but it can make in the lives of those that God brings into our paths that we get to share with. As we grow to understand what covenant means, the sharing of life, of identity, sharing of name, strength, and resources, we begin to recognize that we start to lose ourselves as we become one with one another and one with God. And then in this process, we start to see God's word, read God's word in a different way. We still know the same thing that we started with is true. The script rivals about two things, covenant and kingdom, about being and doing, about recognizing and realizing and living out our faith. With that in mind, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, David facing Goliath. This uncircumcised Philistine that David was listening to, this, this, this giant of a man and this little boy, relatively speaking, recognizes that he's in covenant and Goliath's not. He runs into battle. 
We read in verse 17 of 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, chapter 17, verse 47, all those gathered here, David says, will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He'll give all of you into our hands. Verse 50, David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. By the grace of God, God did the heavy lifting. So Saul turns to his commander, the commander of his troops. His name was Abner. He says, Abner, whose kid is this? Who is this kid? I mean, I know I just met him in my tent. I tried to give him my armor. He didn't want it. I just thought we were all doomed to serve the Philistines. But who is this kid? Who's his father? What family is he from? Abner goes and tracks him down. And David shares with Saul that I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. We begin to see this word Bethlehem, this connection between Jesus and David. He would come from the very line of David. And this familiar chapter ends with this powerful expression of covenant, recognizing that God goes to battle for us. Go all the way back to Genesis when we first begin this conversation, and God says to Abraham, I am your protector, I am your shield. It's now lived out and manifested in David's life. We turn the page to chapter 18, and we see covenant take on a much deeper meaning. Very quickly, there's this transition. There's there's some things that happen in between. We don't have, we're not privy to what happens all the time. But in verse 1 of chapter 18, we read, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. The New King James Version says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is the essence of covenant. That we become one in the deepest, truest, realest sense. In verse 3, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we read that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. This was a friendship that ran deep. And this didn't just happen when you turn a page from chapter 17 to chapter 18. There had to be some interaction. There had to be some time they spent together. There had to be some commonalities in their life. Yet through it all, God brought them together, and they develop this deep friendship, and they enter into covenant with one another. Read in verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And here in this simple verse, we see these elements of covenant. The robe. First thing he did was the first step in the covenant ceremony. The robe represented an exchange of identity. Now, this was a day and age where, where, where hygiene wasn't completely dismissed, but you more than likely had a little bit of an odor about you, depending on what you did for a living and where you spent your time. And, and if David, being a shepherd, spent his time around his sheep, were to take off his tunic and share it with Jonathan who in this moment was a prince, the, the son of King Saul, and Jonathan would walk around in David's robe, there would be some looks that Jonathan would get. Hmm, what's that strange smell? And Jonathan probably had uh, access to uh, perfumes or to colognes or whatever you want to call it back in the day. Uh, was probably a little more upkept, if you would, than David may have been. And David, all of a sudden, is walking around in a prince's robe. That this exchanging of identities was very significant. The belt that Jonathan shared with David was an exchange of strength. It was, it was a sign that, that what, what I have, what I bring to the table is also yours, and, and you don't have to worry because we're going to share in our strengths with one another. The sword and the bow that exchanged hands 
was an exchange of enemies. Let's not miss how significant this is. David and Jonathan become covenant partners. What's significant in the exchange of enemies is that Saul himself, Jonathan's father, would become an enemy of David and would spend years of his, of his rule trying to pursue and chase down, even kill David. And we see Jonathan honor his covenant time and time again in Scripture by protecting and helping David, but at the same time going against his own father. This is how deep covenant was, and this is how significant that it was. And we can read all through 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, the early 2 Samuel, about Saul chasing after David and throwing a spear at him and trying to kill him, and this up and down relationship God has with Saul. And eventually Saul does some things that causes God to say, you know what? No more. Your days are numbered. David's already been anointed. Your line will not continue. There's chaos. And there's all of these things going on around David and around Saul, and it's all building this crescendo. And we begin to see it in 2 Samuel. Early in 2 Samuel, there's this battle in Jezreel, and and Saul dies. Jonathan dies. And when we see in this chaos uh, that uh, Abner, uh, Saul's commander of his army, switches his allegiance to David, Joab, one of David's uh, closest allies, kills Abner, who had previously killed his brother. Some of David's friends and supporters get a little overzealous, and and all of Saul's family is attacked and killed. And contrary to what David desires, there's this mess. But there's one descendant who survives. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. We've heard of him before. And today we're going to recognize and see in Mephibosheth's life how he receives something that he doesn't deserve. David is crowned king. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant is brought from the house of Benadab to Jerusalem. Uzzah, Abinadab's son, touches the ark as it's about to fall, trying to steady it. Uzzah is killed uh, in in response to to God's command not to touch the ark. David gets afraid and decides he's not going to bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem after all. And it's stored at the home of Obed-Edom. But then word gets back to David that Obed-Edom is being blessed because of the presence of the ark of God at his home. So David decides again, he resolves to finish the ark's journey and takes a group of people, and they're carrying the ark from Obed-Edom into Jerusalem. And every six steps they would take, they would stop and offer sacrifices to God, trying to appease the Lord and recognize what it is that's actually happening as they're taking the essence of God himself, the ark of the covenant, into Jerusalem. David enters Jerusalem. He's dancing. He's celebrating and Michael. One of David's wives, uh, Saul's daughters, watching from up above, and Michael was David's reward for defeating Goliath. It's a whole other conversation for another day. But she criticizes David's undignified behavior. Look at the king acting so undignified in front of his people. Because of her criticism and Michael failing to recognize that David was praising and worshiping God, she herself would never have children. David's response to her was, I'll become even more undignified than this when it comes to worshiping and praising my God. 
I'm in a covenant with him. This is something beautiful. I'm, I'm just doing and living out my faith, and this is what it looks like. And then God is pleased, so God sends the prophet Nathan, Nathan to David and gives instructions to have a house built for God. We see God establish, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, his covenant with David. Just as God established a covenant with Abraham, and then spoke to Isaac, and we, we, we know in previous times of our converse, previous conversations that he spoke to Jacob. Now God speaks to David and affirms in him the covenant that's continuing through David's life and through his family. David continues doing all this king stuff, and we're summarizing uh, his life and ministry in just a few short moments. There's a lot that goes on in between. There's conquests, there's campaigns, years pass. And David, during a time of reflection, finds himself thinking back and missing his friend, Jonathan. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David's just sitting one day. And he speaks to those in the room and he asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone still around? A lot of time has passed. And then there's someone named Ziba. Ziba is a former servant in the house of Saul. And, and so someone re remembers that Ziba used to work for Saul. They send for Ziba. Ziba comes. David asks the question of Ziba, is there anyone still left? And Ziba says to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. This fall that happened when he was five years old, probably broke his ankles or, or, or fractured his legs of some sort. They didn't heal properly. So he's been lame his entire life. The king says to Ziba, where is he? Ziba says to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Mashir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Hold on to the word Lodabar. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. David wants to show kindness. In the Hebrew, it's the word hased, hased, chased, perhaps. It means mercy. It means goodness. And in an absolute sense, David wants to show absolute mercy. He wants to show goodness in its purest form. He wants to be kind, but, but not just kind that you do something like a gentle act of kindness. This, this overt kindness, this overwhelming kindness. David wants to do something significant. Commentaries use the word tenacious. A tenacious kindness that won't quit. And this is what covenant does for us. It wants us to continue to give and to do and to pour out and to honor and, and to make sure that we are living out what it means to walk in covenant with one another. David's been sitting around a long time enjoying the fruits of being a king. And now he's at a place where he wants to respond to the covenant he has with God and, and remembering his covenant with Jonathan. David's continuing the covenant. That, that he started with Jonathan so many years ago. And just as God promised Abraham that his covenant would continue through his offspring, through his descendants, David wants to honor his covenant with Jonathan's son. Now, imagine you're Mephibosheth. Your whole life you were at one point in time a prince uh, of a prince. You, you were royalty. And then your father dies there's this mad scramble to get you to safety. You fall, you break your ankles. So not only do you have a name that probably not the best name to have in Israel at the time, now you're injured, you can't work. Your whole life changes in an instant. But you've managed to survive. You've done okay. 
You're getting by. Until one day, Ziba shows up and says, the king would like to see you. Huh. Could you think, maybe Mephishtha, well, I wondered when this day would come. It's about time. I'm not really surprised by this. What good could possibly come for with Mephishtha's life for meeting with King David? Expecting wrath, Mephibosheth shows up and receives grace. He deserved the ticket, but instead he's forgiven. And it's not that he did anything that needed to be forgiven, except for the fact that his grandfather continuously tried to kill David. But even David himself would not raise a finger towards Saul. There was no malice in David's heart. So what David's wanting to do in this moment is to extend covenant to Mephibosheth. We read in verse 6 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. He, he bowed down on the ground. He, he was flat on the floor paying honor to David. And David says, Mephibosheth, at your service, Mephibosheth replies. I'm at your service. I'm at your mercy. I'm at your feet. I, I can't run away. I, I literally can't run. I, here I am just putting myself before you. David says to him words that I'm sure he never thought he'd hear. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, at this point, I'm sure Mephibosheth is like, his mind's like, what just happened? First says, don't be afraid. That in itself would be enough. Mephibosheth could get up and leave happy and continue his existence, but David doesn't stop there. I want to show you kindness, absolute kindness, absolute mercy, absolute goodness for the sake of my covenant friend, Jonathan. I'm going to restore to you all that belonged to your grandfather. Now Saul was king. So what David is giving to Mephibosheth is significant. There has value. It's tangible. But then he says to Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table. There will always be a seat at the king's table for you. The table's for family. The table's where your closest friends come. David's saying, Mephibosheth, you're invited to be one with me. You're invited to dinner every single day. Again, Mephibosheth doesn't understand. And to be honest, no one would understand if they're not familiar with or in covenant. Mephibosheth looks in the mirror and he sees himself as broken, as an enemy by name, as someone that the king would not want to have around. So we read in verse 8, Mephibosheth again bows down. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? But David didn't just stop at mercy. He invited Mephibosheth into his family, into this relationship that he had with his father. David now shares with Mephibosheth what Jonathan had shared with David, shares identity, shares strength, shares safety, shares property, and shares enemy. Then Ziba, there, there's this conversation. David goes to Ziba, and Ziba had a family of his own. He says, Ziba, you and your sons, you're to go, and you're to care for what I'm now giving to Mephibosheth. You're going to be the caretakers, and, and, and it's going to take care of you as well. And as long as you continue to do these things, it, it'll go well for you. And Ziba says to the king in verse 11, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. And we read in verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate 
at David's table like one of the king's sons. Like one of the king's sons. That's what we're invited into. When God extends covenant to us through his son Jesus, we become a child of the king. We're invited to sit down at the table. Next week, we're going to experience this seat at the table as we're going to recognize and share in communion together. This seat that we have through Jesus' invitation to, to receive grace, to receive that which we don't deserve. And it's an invitation that God continues to give to those who don't yet know him, who aren't in covenant with him. It's something that we do when we are in covenant with him as a reminder of what he continues to do for us, how deeply he loves us. And while that in itself would be enough, when we take a deeper dive into this narrative, we discover some incredibly powerful applications. And these are simple, and, and these are things I want to take with us. I want us to be able to recognize, just as Mephibosheth could look in the mirror and see who he was and who he wasn't, we need to be able to do the same thing. Mephibosheth, his name, literally means despised one. Now, I'm not sure why Jonathan would have chosen that name from Mephibosheth. It also could be translated as one who struggles with Baal. Now, Baal would have been the, the, god, of, the, gods of the, the god of the Philistines. He, he was a false god that, that others worshipped aside from God himself. So Mephibosheth's very name means one who struggles with Baal, one who is despised. In many ways, we are Mephibosheth despised, struggle with the gods of this world, tempted to step out of covenant with God and instead walk with the bales of this world, one who is undeserving, one who should recognize that when the king calls, there we should approach with humility, the recognition that without God's grace, it, we would be the ones on our faces before God. When we read further, we, we, we're reminded Mephibosheth was living in the land of Debar, Lodabar. Lodabar, it was a place, and it, the name Lodabar literally meant a land with no word. So we have the despised one, or one who struggles with Baals, living in the land with no word. And I think God's amazing at how he puts these pieces together. Living literally in a land that was dry and parched, outside of covenant, that is where we live. We live in existence apart from, from truth. We, we live in existence outside of covenant. When we live in a land with no word, we live in a land with no hope. We live in a dry and parched land. We live in a land where there's no life. We need living water. We talk about living water as we get closer to Lent. We live outside of the hope that covenant provides. Here's where the story, I think, becomes personal for us. David, from whose line Jesus himself would come, represents the Son of God in this relationship. David does for Mephibosheth what Jesus does for us. Jesus sits around and calls, is there anyone out there that, that do not or are not experiencing the joy and benefits of covenant with me? Is there anyone out there who, who, who I can show kindness to? Invite them to dinner. Let them know there's a seat at my table for them. And just like Mephibosheth, we often respond the same way. It's like we're being called to the principal's office. We're being pulled over by the sheriff deputy, knowing what we deserve, asking the questions perhaps, oh, 
they found out, or what have I done now, or now I'm in for it. And we show up and we come before Jesus. We're, we're unworthy and we're lame and we're broken. Physically, perhaps, or emotionally or spiritually. But we know that we're living in a land with no word. We're living a dry and parched life apart from God. And instead of punishment that we probably deserve, Jesus offers an embrace. He offers a new home, a room in the palace, a seat at the table, a never-ending feast. Scripture says to David, or David communicates to Mephibosheth, you will eat continually at my table. It's like a buffet that just never gets taken away. I think eating regularly and eating continually are different things. You will always be taken care of, David is saying to Mephibosheth. When Jesus invites us into this relationship, he shows us, here's my mark. Here's the cut on my hand, the mark in my side, the scars on my head. This, this is my sign to you that I'm willing to do whatever it takes for you to come to know me. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the covenant that Jesus desires to make with us, the choices that God gives us. Covenant is always a choice, doesn't force it upon us, but it's available to us. And I want us to begin to understand the significance that it brings and the difference that it makes in our lives. Here's my mark, Jesus says. Come join me in covenant. James Garlow, a theologian and pastor, writes, the sad truth is that the church, that's us, often lives below the covenant provision that God intended. Many are going to leave this place today outside of covenant, and it's going to be a choice. You're going to live outside of covenant that God is offering to us. It, it's, it's something that I don't always understand it's something that we choose. God continually calls and invites us into. Perhaps you've come today feeling crippled, but you don't have to leave lame. Maybe you've come hungry, but you can leave today knowing you've been invited to the king's table. Maybe you know as you leave you're going to return back to a dry and desolate land or life, but know that God offers us something different. We don't have to live in our own low debar. We don't have to be called Mephibosheth. We don't have to be despised. We don't have to, to chase after our own bales. We can chase after the one true God who brings healing and who brings hope. King's palace is waiting for us, church. And perhaps it's not a big choice that we make. Maybe it's just subtle. Maybe it's small. But it's just enough. It's just a tiny bale. We might think it's a big deal. But if we're not careful, those tiny things become bigger. And before we know it, we find ourselves on the outside looking in, knowing what we deserve. But God sees us differently. He offers us grace. I invite you to stand today, short and simple this morning. It's just what it's supposed to be. I don't know where you're at in your walk or in your life. Maybe you, this low debar resonates with you. Maybe you resonate with Mephibosheth this morning, but you don't have to stay there. Covenant is available. God is with us. He's moving among us. And I look forward to sharing at the seat of the table with you next week as we are reminded covenant is available, being offered. And I don't always get that, but I'm so thankful for it. Father, I want to pray for your people today. 
pray, Lord, we begin or continue to see your word differently. This relationship, Lord, that you offer to us. Recognizing, Lord, that perhaps there's not much that we bring to the relationship we bring to the table, Lord, but you don't care. We're your creation. Created on purpose for a purpose. According to your grand design. There's a reason, Lord. You want to use our experiences, our struggles, our, our ups and our downs, our victories, our defeats. You want to use them for your glory to help others come into who you are. Lord, when we enter into covenant with you, as we see these, these examples in your word, we, we can see ourselves in the story. And we're reminded that you're up to something. You've been up to something for a long time. And there's some in this room, Lord, that you've been chasing after for a long time. Maybe perhaps some have heard your voice for the very first time. Are there any still out there that, I, that you want to show kindness to, Lord, this morning? And I pray that we would be willing to at least hear your voice. Have a conversation to receive the invitation to walk in covenant with you. Because, Father, the truth is we do walk in covenant. It's not with you, it's with the things of this world. Help us to recognize what has hold of our hearts. Help us to recognize what it is, Lord, that we're following and chasing after. And if it's not you, may we be willing to let it go. To grab hold of the one invitation that truly is life-changing. For the Mephibosheths among us, God, help us to know we're not despised. But we're invited to be a child of the King. For the ones among us living in low Debar, may we leave that dry, desolate land. Accept the invitation to live with you. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for a love that you have for us that we just cannot at times understand. Help us, Lord, to accept the seat at the table that you're offering us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Your covenant people. Go and share a little hope, a little joy with someone else this week. Great week.